Welcome to the Gap Church Podcast, where we're filling the gap through freedom and the truth. Please enjoy this week's message. Um, This morning, when thinking about what to minister in terms of the word, I like to talk about things that are practical, right? I feel like it's amazing that we dig into the word and we talk about things that happen in the Bible, um, and there's so much meat and there's lessons for us to carry into today. However, I feel like it's appropriate for us also to address the things that are going on today. Can anybody agree with that? Yes. Okay, awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and get started in the word. Um, We're going to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to start from the top. And when anybody gets there, I need you guys to go ahead and shout a resounding amen. Or as my beautiful friend likes to say, hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah. Are we there? Yeah? Cool, cool. All right, so the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of hmm, Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man, There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys, this is verse 3, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shilashah. But they did not find them, and they passed through the land of Shalim. But they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. This is verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. Uh, I guess you can go ahead and highlight this verse in particular. He said, but he said to him, behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. And all that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us where we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, and he said, come, let us go to see the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said, and this is verse 10, to his servant, well, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the, God, where the man of God was. Um, I actually want us to turn to the same chapter, and we're going to go skip down to verse 15. Okay? Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and he shall anoint him, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people in Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. 
Uh, we're continuing to verse 21. This is verse 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He is it who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer? Verse 19, Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will go and let you, I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. Verse 20, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? It is, is it not you and for all your father's house? Verse 21. Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes? And I want you guys to go ahead and like circle this verse right here because this is the context of where we're going to be coming from. Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? The last thing we're going to turn to is 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. And I promise this is the last of the reading. Okay. All right. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, that's what it says in my Bible, Mishmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Please highlight verse 12. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. This is so important that you guys do not miss this. But now, your kingdom shall continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept the Lord you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Lord, Heavenly Father, once again, we just come to you right now just praying that every single word that will be uttered this morning shall be a word from your spirit and your spirit alone. Let no flesh exist in this room, only for your spirit. And God, like said before, before, let deliverance, let healing, let redemption and restoration come forth in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if for my note takers, for everybody that likes to take notes, I want you guys to title this message, No Longer Bound by trauma. How about you guys join with me and say that? No longer bound by trauma. Y'all said that like y'all were, um, y'all are scared for what's about to be said. I need y'all to say that with some strength. No longer bound by trauma. One more time. I know you guys have a little bit more in there. No longer bound by trauma. Okay, so what I like to do after we read a whole bunch of word, um, because um, the Lord is very poetic and the people he used were very, very uh, meticulous with the words that they use in the Bible, right? Um, but because of those words, sometimes it can be a little confusing. What I like to do is give uh, SLA, 
uh, Shell Living's translation, or SOT, Shell Living's translation, and I promise you'll find it in bookstores in the future. <laughs> but basically what's going on in the Bible from about chapter 9 to verse 13 is that uh, God goes from hearing the cry of Israel, hearing their cry and his people, and how they were looking for a king. Right. They had seen all their foes, all their enemies, all the other kingdoms, and they had kings, but Israel did not. And what God had intended originally was to be the sole king of Israel. Right. But Israel, being people, being human, said, "Mm, I'm not sure about that. So I need somebody here physically represented in front of me to know that we are being led by somebody. So I was like, "Okay, cool. No problem. I'll bring somebody up. The amazing thing about the Lord is that he, um, he's always going to use the weak things to, uh, to make the strong things look foolish. So what happened here is he finds a man from the smallest tribe in the nation of Israel, from the Benjamin tribe, called Saul. And Saul, the Bible records at the beginning of chapter 9 that Saul was the most handsome man amongst the men in, in the Benjamite tribe, right? He was taller than everybody. He was more handsome. He was more appealing than everybody. So what the Lord did was that, not only predicated on that, but what the Lord did was that he selected Saul to be the first king of Israel. Is everybody following me? Okay, cool. So from this point, Saul, and as we started in chapter nine, Saul had no idea that this was about to take place. And the way that the Lord had organized it was that he would lose donkeys that belonged to his father, and his father would send him out to go find the donkeys. And along the way, when looking for his donkeys, he would stumble into the town that Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, existed or lived in, right? Eventually, he would meet Samuel due to his servant, suggesting, let's go meet the seer or the prophet and see maybe if we can get some direction on where the donkeys may be or maybe how to get home. So he goes to the sea, he goes to Samuel, and Samuel, Samuel essentially lets him know that the Lord told me that you would be coming at this point in time today, and you would be looking for your donkeys. But I am here to let you know that that is actually not why you are here. You are here for an appointment. You are here to be anointed to be king of Israel. Now, that's amazing, that's cool, but that's not where I'm going. Now, the key thing that I told you guys to highlight in chapter 9 was the very words that I'm about to say. When, when Samuel told Saul all of this amazing news, the first thing that Saul said was, how is it that you were talking to me, a man from the Benjamite clan, and saying this to me, that I am worthy of this? Right? All right, so we're going to continue. We're going to pin that there. So from there, you know, Saul eventually gets anointed king, and he's going forward, and he does a great thing. Between 9 and 13, he actually conquers, I think, the Ammonites, if I'm not I might be wrong. You guys can fight me on that. But needless to say, he conquers a, 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 a foe, and then eventually he conquers uh, the Philistines. But before conquering the Philistines, Samuel had given him a specific instruction. And when the time came for certain things to fall in line, Samuel did not show up in the appointed time that he was supposed to show up for these instructions to come to fruition. Right? So Saul taking it within his own power not consulting the Lord or not being obedient to what was originally instructed, he decided to take burnt offerings and burn them and disobey what the Lord had instructed him to do. Y'all still following me, right? Samuel comes eventually, and he's like, what are you doing? And Saul was like, well, I saw that you didn't come in time, and I saw that everybody was leaving 
Everybody was scattering among, among me, so I decided to take matters into my own hands, not consult the Lord, and go outside of his will. Right? Samuel follows by saying, you are foolish for what you have done. And he goes on to essentially curse him, in my opinion. And he says, what was supposed to be your kingdom that would reign forever is no longer going to reign. Right? You can see that the destiny of Saul is now cut short or rerouted. Right? And this is important. Um, he then goes on to say that there is somebody else that the Lord has found that is not going to be worried about what everybody else thinks. And it's not going to be worried about what everybody else feels, but is seeking my heart. And he's going to serve me, right? And he's going, his kingdom will reign forever. And eventually, we all know that would be David. And, and the, through David, the lineage of Jesus, and Jesus would come, right? So at the beginning, I said, no longer bound to trauma. Now, when I read this story, I thought to myself, well, why in the world would this guy Saul, after being blessed to the magnitude that he was blessed, he was picked from the smallest tribe out of all the 12 tribes of Israel, he was picked from the smallest tribe, and God said, this will be the leader of Israel. Why is it that he got to a place where, after seeing victory and after seeing the promises of God fulfilled in his life and coming to fruition, made a choice that was outside of the will of the Lord? I began to think about that, and I was like, well, I mean, it's not like um, somebody was flogging him as he was, as he was trying to make his decision. It was a situation where he saw his exterior, he saw his surroundings, and he decided to make a choice. And then I began to dig a little deeper, and um, the Holy Spirit began to explain certain things to me. Saul dealt with trauma that had never been dealt with before. And that is what I'm here to talk about this morning. And I have to be very honest. I feel like this message this morning is going to be a little triggering because we're going to try to dig at some things and uncover some things that the Lord probably wants to heal and set free that has been closed off. And I believe that we will be set free in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, like I said, I believe that the Lord said that Saul had been dealing with some trauma that had not been dealt with before. Think about this. You have 12 tribes of, of, of Israel. And these 12 tribes, out of all the 12 tribes, he is from the Benjamite tribe. What the Benjamite tribe is all is, is Jacob, generations before, had 12 sons. And from the 12 sons, 12 tribes would come. And the last son was Benjamin. So out of all the 12 tribes, Benjamin was the smallest tribe. And it's recorded from theologians or in the Bible, right? And so when Saul comes to meet Samuel for the first time, and Samuel is speaking a word of prophecy into his life, he cannot comprehend the magnitude of the prophecy or the destiny or the mandate because he comes from what is deemed as a small tribe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it home a little bit. Some people here have have greatness, have, have power, have a big destiny in front of them, but because of the things that maybe your parents have said, you feel smaller than you actually are. Woo! Some people here, my goodness, some people here, it may not be what somebody has said, but what somebody has done that has caused for you to feel like you are not capable or uh, 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 have the shoulders to withhold the mandate that the Lord has placed on your shoulders before time began. And I'm going to get a little specific because this is how triggering is going to be. It could be sexual assault. It could be things like that that have made you feel like, man, I am not worthy of what it is that God has called for me. 
It could be you were in the midst of your friends and you had some little abnormality deemed by humanity that maybe you stuttered or you have a lisp or maybe you walked funny or maybe your head was shaped funny. <laughs> Does anybody relate with that? Because I definitely got that. Um, and because of those words that were spoken, you feel like you are too small for what God has called you to be. But I'm here to let you know that that is a lie of the enemy. And the greatness that is before you is actually for you. Hallelujah. So the first point that I want you guys to take down, if you are writing notes, is trauma can cause for your identity to be misconstrued. Trauma can cause for your identity to be misconstrued. I want to take us back to... Um, the beginning of time, because I always love to reference the beginning of time. When you're able to understand the root of something, you're able to understand why it is what it is and where it is going, right? So when you talk about Adam and Eve, the main goal of the enemy was to misconstrue the identity that God had given them. Does that make sense? As in, when the, when the serpent came to Eve and he presented this fruit for her to eat, what he did was question, no. God just doesn't want you to know that you can be like him. And the funny thing about it is that God had already, before the serpent came, given them an identity that was sure, that was sound, that was immovable. But for a split second, the enemy in a, in a moment was able to misconstrue the identity that God had given them. And the reason I point out on that is because that is exactly what traumatic events and occurrences are meant to do. When you go through a traumatic event, the enemy's goal is to exploit that occurrence so that you do not understand who you are. I need you guys to understand this because the, the, the power of being a child of God is the knowledge of who you are in him. And when he's able to remove that knowledge of who you are, you are no longer in the light. Does that make sense? And so when the enemy is coming through, and you can imagine with Saul, Saul is in a situation where he's younger probably, and he's thinking to himself, well, I'm probably going to live a lackadaisical life. I'm probably not going to go anywhere. I'm probably going to be my father's son, and I'm just going to take over whatever is his and then die. But God had something so much greater. However, when Saul stepped into a place of appointment and destiny, he was not able to acknowledge that this is for me because he was not living in the identity that God had given him. And my question to you guys this morning is, how many of us is that? The part that sucks in this journey called life is that we deal with humanity. <laughs> we deal with humanity. And the amazing thing about it is that we deal with humanity. There's beauty in humanity and there's evil in humanity. But the reality of things is that as we're walking in life, we may encounter people, we may encounter situations that are so traumatic that cause for us to go into a shell. And that cause for us to miss and, and misunderstand who God has called us to be. I'm going to be so authentic and uh, honest this morning because I just believe that that is, an, that is the only way to live a childlike, child, Christ-like life, right? Um. I was molested as a kid, right? And I remember for so long as, as, as I was growing up, when I came, to, I came to the Lord when I was 12 years old, and, um, you know, so many testimonies and, 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 and all these things, but I came, from the moment that I came into, I mean, I used to say things like, even before I came into the Lord, man, I just know in this life my weakness is going to be girls. 
You can imagine as an eight, eight or nine-year-old, I'm saying things as powerful as that, that my weakness is going to be women. And I don't got no understanding of where it's coming from. But the fact that I could utter those words is me accepting an identity that was not mine. And I get saved, and I'm growing in the Lord, and I'm beginning to understand the Lord a little bit more every day, every year. And it comes into a point in my life where I'm struggling with sexual immorality more than I feel like I should, not even more than I feel like I should, more than I should be, right? Whether it be pornography, things of that nature, I'm struggling with those things. And the Lord began to remind me of traumatic events that took place when I was younger. That I had associated my identity with those things that now that I am older, I walk like I am struggling. Jesus. And the thing about it is that God has already granted me freedom. God has already granted me redemption, but I did not know that. And I've chosen to put down what is my identity in the Lord and pick up what is my identity in the enemy. And it wasn't until I got to a place that I fully understood the gospel, which I will talk about today, that true freedom came. I remember other situations like I would finally muster up the strength to be able to tell my mom after I've done something just completely wrong. Okay, mommy, I'm sorry for what I did. And as we all can probably relate, don't tell me sorry. Sorry for yourself. (laughs) And you know, the funny thing about it is that we can all laugh at it now. Definitely, I definitely laugh at it now. But those words played a role in how I see the father. Ah, Jesus. You see, when I get to a place where I would fall short and I would sin because I had experienced, don't tell me sorry, sorry for yourself. I'm feeling like I can't go to the father and be like, God, I'm sorry. Because I am feeling like the Holy Spirit and the Lord is going to be like, sorry for yourself. But that is not the gospel. Because God is a loving father. God is an accepting father. God wants you even when you fall short. And your traumatic events or your traumatic occurrences do not shape who you are. They will never shape who you are. Rebuke that in the name of Jesus. So again, traumatic events can misconstrue your identity. And that's exactly what happened with Saul. The Holy Spirit began to explain to me that as as, as he was growing up, the Bible says that he was a handsome man. That he stood taller amongst everybody else. What is that saying? That is just speaking to a little bit of how the Lord saw him. This is speaking to how the Lord saw him, even if it's just, even if it's just from a physical appearance. This is, how he, this is how the Lord saw him, but I can bet Samuel didn't see that. Sorry, Saul did not see that. Saul did not believe that. And how many of us is that? That... They said your head was shaped funny. They said that you speak funny. They say that you look funny. They say you have a funny accent. They say that you can't dress. And those things as a kid have festered and rooted themselves in your heart to a place where now it's hard to receive blessing. It's hard to receive compliments at a minuscule place. I believe this is so important for us to understand because I believe the Lord wants us to dig up these things and cover them, uh, expose them to the light and free us from these things. So the second point here is trauma can cause for you to make choices that aren't a part of your original design. I know that was a mouthful, so I'll say that again. 
Trauma can cause for you to make choices that aren't a part of your original design. There'll be some people in here. Actually, let me just mess with the girls today. <laughs> there will be some girls, and I'm only doing this because it's everyday guys are men are men are listen, girls. <laughs> now I'm messing around. But there will be some ladies in here that will encounter a gen- encounter a gentleman, right? But this gentleman isn't perfect. This gentleman is figuring things out, but this gentleman loves the Lord, right? Or maybe he, whatever type of gentleman, right? He loves the Lord or not. And because you did not have your father at home, there is a lack of trust that you can already give a man that you want to give an opportunity to. And I may be young, but these are things that we have to speak on. That my dad wasn't there, or my dad was abusive, or my dad didn't love me the way that he was supposed to. And so when an actual representation of a man comes to you, it's hard to accept it. Or fellas, right? We go through some experience sexually, or we go through some experience with something, and when it comes to women, we are not able to see them as the queens and the daughters of God that they are. We objectify them as if they're meat. And these things, I want us to really talk about these things because they are in our heart. Let me not say they are in your heart because I don't know if y'all like that. But they are in our hearts generally, and they root themselves, and they grow. And what happens is that the veins that are pumping through your heart, they're not able to tell the difference between the veins that are not supposed to be there. Does that make sense? And the things that are not supposed to be there grow and they fester and they become a part of your heart and now they become a part of your being. And the things that you say are tailored to the things that you went through. And, and, and it's so important for us to understand this because... If we do this, we ultimately end up not walking on the plan or walking in the plan or the will of the Lord. And like I said before, the enemy's goal is just to misconstrue who we are. If you know who you are, he can't tell you you're not worthy. He can't tell you you're not, you're not, you're not beautifully and wonderfully made. He can't tell you that you're not destined for greatness because you know who you are. But if you sit in darkness because it's in your heart and it has festered and grown, you're not going to be able to acknowledge who God has called you to be. And I was a prisoner of this for a long time. For a long time. I would struggle with things even beyond the things I've already, I've already shared. I would struggle with self-confidence. That, mm, I don't know if I should be in front of people like that. And, mm, I don't know if I should be saying the things that I should be saying because I felt like in a place of, a child, of childhood, those things were rejected. I, I'm, I'm going to be so authentic here and the things are coming to my mind as I speak. I remember there was one time, I worship now, right? That's what I love to do. If I, if, if I could do one thing for the rest of my life and get paid for it, it'd be worshiping, right? That's how much I love it, right? And even if I didn't get paid for it, I'll still do it, Right? But I remember one time I was worshiping in the car. I'm probably like seven, eight years old. And my mom, and oh, let, me, let me just do a disclaimer. I love my mom with all my heart. <laughs> she is not as evil as I may be making her seem. <laughs> okay. Um, but my mom, um, God bless her heart, is driving to midweek service, right? And we're listening to this station called KSBJ. For those who know, who are from Houston, y'all will know what that is. And maybe it's here, right? But, <laughs> but 
there's this song that's playing, and I don't know what came over me, but I just decide, let me just worship my God in this car, right? And I, I'm not worshiping at this point. I'm not singing at this point. I'm just like, let me close my eyes and lift my hands and all this stuff. But it's so genuine. And I open my eyes after singing, like, the chorus, and my mom was like, Kill more shit. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like things like that rooted themselves in my heart to a place where I didn't feel like my worship was acceptable. You know? And, and, and you know, the, the part that sucks is the enemy comes for us when we're children. He comes from, for us when we're adolescents, when we don't know any better, right? And we're innocent, pure of heart. That's when he comes to plant these seeds of deception. And so in a place like that, you can imagine I'm growing, and for years, I'm like, I don't know if I can sing. I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this until the Lord had a divine encounter with me to let me know this is exactly what I want you to be doing. Right? But going back to where we're going, trauma can cause for you to make choices that aren't a part of your original design. The last point is trauma can cause for your destiny to be redesigned. So this is after you taking the identity that the enemy wants to give you, living a life that is based off of that trauma. You then get to a place that if you live in that trauma for long enough, you can miss your destiny or rather have it redesigned. In the case of Saul, Saul being traumatically affected by his bringing and the things that he had experienced to believe that he was too small to be in the position that he was, was influenced by the people that he was leading rather by God. And when Samuel came and met him in a place where he was disobedient, he told him, unfortunately, you've missed it. Unfortunately, <laughs> what was supposed to reign forever through you is not. Imagine Jesus coming through Saul. Not David. That was supposed to be his destiny. The savior of the world was supposed to come through his lineage. But, Jesus, but, but Samuel said, I'm sorry. And that's because Saul had gotten to a place where he was living in his trauma. And that's the thing that trauma does. Trauma causes for us to not go back to the Lord, but go back to the very people that caused the trauma. I looked up this terminology called trauma bonding, and it's when people develop a bond with the people that have caused them trauma. So much so, it's both ways. Whether it's negative and you hate them so much, or whether it's positive and you love them so much, and you give them the opportunity to continue to be traumatic to you. That's why they say there's a thin line between love and hate. Now, with all of that I'm saying, just because, just to be time sensitive, with all that I'm saying, I believe the question should be asked, well, how do I, how do I get free from this trauma? Right? And what I'm about to say may be some theology, table-shaking theology. But the number one way to overcome trauma that you are knowledgeable of or you're not is belief. When you look at the man on the cross, the thief, when there were both of the thieves on either side of Jesus, one of them chose to accept his identity that I am a thief and I belong here. And therefore, because you are here, Jesus, with me, you also belong here as well. The other decided to acknowledge that this is what I have done, 
but this man is innocent. And he chose to believe Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, Savior of the world, that he was the Son of God. And the freedom from his sin was the fact that he believed that Jesus was. When the woman that had the issue with the blood was looking for freedom from that issue, it wasn't fire and brimstone that set her free. It wasn't fasting for 40 days that set her free. This might be some sensitive one. It wasn't speaking in tongues that gave her her freedom. It was her faith. The Lord says, your faith has made you whole. And this is the gospel that I came to believe. The gospel that I came to believe is that it is a selfless one. Jesus lived a selfless life. I mean, he's hanging on the cross in John 10, and he's looking down at his mom and his disciple, and he tells his disciple as he is bleeding to death, as he is dying, my, my disciple, take your mom away from this place. How can you imagine a place in agony and pain and death? He's not worried about himself. He was worried about the people he came to save. And what happens is that when we begin to believe this gospel of selflessness, where I'm not worried about me, I'm worried about the people that God has called me to bring to his kingdom, the things that are traumatic in your heart begin to leave. They begin to get taken care of. Why? Because you have died to self. You are selfless. And you have taken on the identity of Christ. And Christ was whole. Christ was free. Christ was was. was redeemed, was beautiful, was not traumatically affected. I believe this is so important because this is how we walk in freedom. I believe there's some people, and the Bible says it in, 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 in John chapter 14, verse 15 to 21. It says that essentially what I'm trying to highlight there is that he will not leave you to be an orphan. I believe there's some people in here that feel that they are alone. And God has said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And God has said it in his word in 1 Peter 2.9 that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. As in like, I'm not just going to take away what the traumatic events are. I'm also going to replace it with something that is good. For you to understand that this is what I can walk in. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to come to the Lord and surrender things that are in our heart. Anything. Things that are deep that you haven't told anybody. Things that may not be deep that you just laugh about. And we're going to take it to the Lord. Because I believe the Lord wants to give true freedom to the people that want to believe that he has come to save. And, and, and one thing that's important to understand about the gospel is that Jesus didn't come to save you to go to heaven. Jesus came to save you for right now. As in the lies and the misbelief and the misconstrued identity, he's come to break that and give you what is yours. So just for a minute, we're going to lift this up to the Lord. And I want you to begin to just ask the Lord, God, the things that are in my heart that I have allowed to root itself in my heart, and fester and grow to a place that I live my life by. God, I choose to believe you are the son of God. And I choose to believe that you have come to set me free. 
God, the things that are uncomfortable to talk about with people, I come to you because I trust you. God, the things that I laugh about that are about me, that you look at and you say, this is beautiful. Help me to see things the way that you see them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, we bless your name. We say, hallowed be your name, Jesus. We thank you so much for freedom. We thank you, God, so much for the opportunity to surrender these things to you right now. God, from this day, we choose to be free. We choose to be set free from our traumatic events and occurrences. God, we speak on behalf of the, I speak on behalf of the ones that have hurt your children and say, I am sorry for the things that they have done to your children. But I lift up your children's heart right now that you can hold it close to you. You can wrap them in your arms and never let them go. Give them a knowledge of who they, who they are in you in the name of Jesus. We bless and we love your holy name. We say from this day forth, your people are children of God, fully and wholly in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, once more for your word. I pray that it shall not fall on dry ground. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to the Gap Church podcast. We hope this message blessed you. If you made that choice to give your life to Christ, congratulations, we celebrate you. Don't forget to text SAVED to 817-382-2244. Again, text SAVED to 817-382-2244. Thank you so much and have a blessed week.